Welcome to the podcast, In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name's Tim. My name's Marshall. How you doing, Marshall? I'm doing good. You enjoying your coffee? I am. I got to tell you something about the coffee. Okay. So we ran out of coffee. We did. We had a big container of Tim Hortons. That's right. Ran out. I went and got some more. Mm-hmm. This time I got McDonald's. Yeah. You know what? McDonald's coffee is not too bad. I prefer it over Tim Hortons. Wow. So you can say that because you're a Canadian citizen. <laughs> if I had said that, it would have been deportation. I do. For, well, those th- for those listening that don't know Tim Hortons, Tim Hortons is a donut shop, sells coffee, and Canadians dig it. Oh, yeah. I have, there was, when I was in Toronto, there was a Tim Hortons and a McDonald's just on almost side by side. Mm-hmm. And there would be times that the drive through at Tim Hortons would be coming out into the street and wrapping around the block. Mm. And McDonald's would be empty. So to put it maybe in perspective, too, for some of the American listeners, the town I grew up in, which is not far from here, is about, was, was about 30,000 people when I was growing up. We had one McDonald's and then a second one came in in my high school years. We had like six or seven Tim Hortons. Yeah, when people ask me what it's like to grow up in the Bible Belt, I tell them we have churches like you have Tim Hortons. <laughs> <laughs> but, That's great. But here's here's the thing that I feel like I have to let you know mm-hmm. and our listeners know just in case something happens. When we empty the coffee can, it's not like we used every last grain of it. There just wasn't enough to make a pot. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to throw it out. Sure. This is half Tim's and half McDonald's. Is it really? And I don't know if we can do that. That that might be a problem. It tastes okay. <laughs> yeah. We might be dying. <laughs> <laughs> we committed some form of sacrilege here. Is this like we're going to see some syncretism in our coffee? It's fast food coffee connoisseurs oh, right here. Oh man. Every so- everyone who actually knows coffee is cringing. At the idea that we're discussing Tim Hortons versus McDonald's. Tim, I do actually drink real coffee at home. I just don't want to complain about the <laughs> basic brands we buy here. <laughs> I've got my French press and my pour over. Yeah, and my I, I, I do home. too, but I still use whatever I can <laughs> come across. <laughs> President's uh, Choice coffee is fine with me. Actually, President's Choice is good. All right, let's get to the question today. All right, let's do it. Should those who have faith in Christ seek their salvation through their own works or anywhere else? Um, so, <laughs> so Marshall and I had a, a quick discussion this morning before this episode saying, I feel like we've basically answered this question a lot. Yeah. Um, and so, so getting into the idea of what have other people said about it and that kind of thing is not a waste of time Mm -hmm. it's always good to do like Spurgeon presented the gospel all the time and said at times I fear that my congregation is going to get tired of me driving home that nail but hammer I will Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time 
uh, it, it does kind of encompass a lot of what we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. We understand that. Yeah. Uh, so the, the point of this is to not come at it from a new way, but some fresh analogies and ideas kind of towards that end. Sure. Um, so I don't think we need to get into the, what pe- other people have said. Okay. Other that is three quarters of my notes. All right. <laughs> I, I, I found, I, I, you know what? I dug up some ones that are not just like, not just like legalism. Not just like legalism or faith by works. Yeah, I have some other ones. Let's hear them. Okay, I'm excited. Okay, this is still kind of related, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I dug, I dug, I dug deep in the barrel of Christian history. We we can go back to this one. How about going all the way back to Pelagianism? Pelagianism, right? All right. We so haven't the, talked to Pelagius in a while. So. The idea that it's possible for humans to obey God perfectly because we're not actually tainted by sin. So maybe you need Christ, maybe you don't. Yeah, maybe you don't. Maybe you're just such a quality dude that you don't need Jesus. Yeah. You can look over there and be like, hey, you did a good thing, but so did I. It so. seems it seems that Pelagius was willing to say no one ever has and never will, mm-hmm. but still left open the door of possibility. Yeah. Which is functionally orthodox, but theoretically denies the concept of oh, original yeah. sin. I mean, Romans is clear, right? Right. All have sinned, all fall short, right? So, I mean, yeah, Pelagius's theoretical teaching um, is heresy, and that's why we call it heresy. So, okay, how about this one? Sacramentalism. Ooh. Mm. Let's hear about it. Okay, so it's the belief that the sacraments, mm-hmm. or we good Baptists would call them ordinances, Baptism, communion. We've got two. Um, depending on the denomination, they might have three or five or Catholic seven. Catholic Church has nine. Or nine. Yeah, there's a lot. Depending on depending on your your you know affiliation. But that these things are uh, inherently effectual and mm-hmm. necessary for salvation. Right. So the idea being that like, so for example, what I mean by that. So this idea of like baptismal regeneration. Right. So if the water is the right water. And if the words said are said properly and the person saying the words is the right type of person to say the words, that baptizing that baby, it's usually this kind of idea of baptismal generation, generally more common in paedo-baptist circles, although not exclusively so. Right, right. Um, but that if all of those things happen the right way, then that person is definitely saved because they got baptized and the thing happened and it happened the right way. Um, Wasn't there a thing last year in Michigan about a priest who learned that his baptism was illegitimate? Yeah, because he'd done something wrong. He'd said the words wrong. He had said he had said the formula wrong. The baptiz- the no, the baptismal. This is it. The baptismal formula said over him was wrong. So he wasn't actually baptized, right? And so there was a huge thing about whether or not. Everyone under his past, his priesthood mm-hmm. was actually baptized. Yeah, and, and he were the had, marriages and were the marriages legitimate, right? Yeah. So the 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 idea was because the words weren't said properly forty years ago. Yeah, when he was a baby and baptized, it could be that there are hundred plus illegitimately baptized and a dozen 
illegitimate marriages out there. Yeah. Because the formula was off. I if I remember correctly, it was something like there was like some like nineteen eighties like home video right. thing of his baptism and he's watching it and and he was like, Oh, the priest who baptized me like goofed up like one like mixed up a couple words, like right. nothing major. And then right. suddenly his entire ministry his entire position before God is in question because the words weren't said right. I mean, right. sorry, folks, you, you can't make this stuff up. Like, this is just... <laughs> no, but I, I think that is a beautiful example of how much weight this can, this can bring into the concept of salvation. Mm. And when we talk about it as being a formula that is effectual, that's an example of people who firmly believe that it's formulaic and effectual, mm-hmm. right? That uh, this was international news, and that priest was really emotionally messed up yeah, about it. Yeah, he was. Just to close the story, um, it was determined that a person doesn't need to be officially baptized properly in order to baptize people, mm. and so they just counted everybody good, um, which kind of made me think, does he have to be rebaptized? I don't know. <laughs> and if he is rebaptized, would that be an Anabaptist? <laughs> would he be an um, Anabaptist at that point? <laughs> right. The rebaptized. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, That's so, great. Yeah. Interesting thing. Now, the thing is with, with the sacramentalism, right, that the story about this priest in, in Michigan or wherever it was um, seems so far-fetched to us. But I was actually reading an article, uh, Desiring God article, so John Piper mm-hmm. and, and others. And, and they were talking about this evangelical form of sacramentalism, right? And we, this, we've talked about this a little bit before, right? This kind of like, you know, is there any reason for you not to, you know, claim faith? Well, no. Well, would you check this box? Or would you repeat after me? Or would you come to the front and kneel? And John Piper tells a story where he was, he was meeting with a congregant, this woman, middle-aged woman, who had a son in his 20s who was serving in the military. And she's like... You know, he's ever since high school, he hasn't been walking with the Lord. He's not, you know, attending church. He's not reading his Bible. His lifestyle is completely, you know, completely off the rails. And so John Piper's like, well, maybe we should pray together that God would save him. And she got really offended and really hurt. No, he's saved. He's saved. I know he is because when he was six, he came to the front and knelt down at the altar in this very church. And so, in a sense, we can put too much trust because for her, that moment, mm-hmm. that was what saved him. The fact that when you go to the front of the church and when you get down on your knees in that part of the church and you, you know, raise your hand or, or write your name on a card or whatever it is, that is the sacrament that saves you. Yeah. And you know what? It is not an uncommon thing for Baptists to say, if you can't remember the moment, yeah. you might not be saved. Yeah. Right. Um, which is a, which is dangerous on both ends. Mm-hmm. One, you take a person who is walking with the Lord and mature in their faith, and they're like, I grew up in church. I kind of feel like I've always believed, mm-hmm. and I've always followed and submitted. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a moment, per se, when they, when everything in them changed. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that would be my story. Sure. If I didn't grow up in a place where um, those moments were so encouraged, Mm -hmm. where I can remember at the age of nine during a week-long revival, Mm -hmm. walking to the front, 
sitting down with Gina Brown filling out my card. Yeah. Um, and so those were, uh, I, I think that's one way to do it. The other side of it is like you said, people who, who instead lean on that mm-hmm. and they're like, I got my moment yeah. and my moment's everything. It's been tough for me because I've been asked, um, when I applied at Heritage or in some of the correspondence stuff with the Feb to identify the moment, mm-hmm. name the moment. Yeah. And, and for me, it's, it's tricky because, um, you know, uh, growing up, my dad went to a very solid church. Sometimes he went to church with my mom, but, um, you know, when I was six, actually up at Muskoka Bible Center during a kids men event, you know, I said a prayer and it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the kind of thing that happened probably three or four more times growing up, but really bore no fruit in my life. And that, you know, in my life went off the rails. And then at 20 years old, believe it or not, at Muskoka Bible Center, again, there was a, a season of like a month, six weeks, that was just this continual kind of breaking and convicting of my sin and realization of the gospel. So like, I can't point to a day. I can right. point to the month of May in 2011. Mm-hmm. That's what I can point to. And uh, for a lot of people, they're not they're not happy about that. But I, I yeah, I can't I can't with confidence say this was the exact moment. Yeah, when I was 19 or 20, I was asked to help receive kids coming forward at a youth event mm. uh, that were going to give their life to Christ, and I thought, you know, I'm gonna this is gonna be awesome. They're gonna come forward because of the message, and I'm gonna sit and pray with them and talk with them. Mm-hmm. And all that. I wasn't mature in my faith. Sure. I was a youth pastor, had no business being a youth pastor. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that at the time. The church that hired me didn't know that at the time. Um, but I I wasn't mature enough to be leading. Mm. But at least I had that expectation. They gave me like a dozen kids mm. and all of their cards. And I just talked to them like in small group format. And someone came up to me like, we need to announce the number. Have How many do you have? And I said, well, I haven't had a chance to talk with them individually yet and see really what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And the person looked at me and said, it's on the card. What box did they check? Just give us the numbers. And oh, I was man. like, just here, take the cards. Mm-hmm. And they took the cards, ran up on the stage, tallied them really quickly and like, this many people gave their life to Christ. Let's all celebrate. They'll never be the same mm-hmm. after tonight. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of people who are genuinely walking with the Lord, who came to the Lord in a similar experience. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but you're right to say that that is a form of sacrament that we rely on mm-hmm. to say if you don't, if you haven't had that moment, you might not be saved. Yeah. Or if you can't recall that moment, or if you have had that moment, mm-hmm. that's where your hope is. Yeah. Um, we can kind of skip over just the traditional kind of concept of legalism, crossing the T's, dotting the I's. My moral uprightness saves me, made myself pleasing to God. We've, we've talked a lot about legalism. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a mo- maybe a modern form of legalism that's a little bit different than, you know, long skirts and ties and jackets. And it's, it's, it's actually, it stems from a good thing, but it takes a good thing too far, I okay. think. Uh, and, and it comes down to um, devoting our lives to charity and, and 
and correcting, you know, human suffering in this life as being the thing that that ultimately redeems us, right? I am a rich, privileged white person born in the West, and so I need to redeem myself by going to other parts of the world and coming alongside those who are in need and by helping them, by easing their suffering, I'm saving them from the mm-hmm. suffering of this world. And so that is the kind of thing that I think some people ought, can fall into, right? Like that right. My, my salvation, my relationship with God is based really on the charity work that I do and the, and the way that I can, the only real tangible way that I can help those who are suffering is just to ease their worldly suffering. Right. And so I think that's that's kind of a more modern thing that we got to steer clear of. Yeah, and and so that that is a form of works. Mm-hmm, sure. Uh but it but it it is one that comes with this sort of guilt of privilege mm-hmm. kind of a a concept as well, yeah. So, um the catechism essentially says, in answer to this question, should those who have faith in Christ seek their salvation through their own works or anywhere else? It says, no, they should not. Th- couldn't they have just stopped there? It's just no. No, they should not. No, they should not. As everything necessary to salvation is found in Christ, to seek salvation through good works is a denial that Christ is the only Redeemer and Savior. Right. When, when Jesus says... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Mm-hmm. He means he is the whole way. Mm-hmm. And the totality, of the absolute of the truth. Mm-hmm. Not a portion of it. Mm-hmm. And in that passage, it's it's really interesting. A, a lot of times what we, what we want to focus on in that is the singularity of it all. Right. Jesus and Jesus only. But what he's saying is not only is he the way, but he's also truth and life. So the thing that we're seeking mm-hmm. is truth and life. Right. He is the goal and the means to the end. Yeah. So if he is the end and the means to the end, then there is no space for anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He is e- everything necessary, right? I mean, I think we have to go back to this idea of the sufficiency of Christ and mm-hmm. who he is and what he's done and what his sacrifice achieves and his resurrection as well, what that achieves. Um, right? Everything necessary, everything that we need is found in him. Um Jesus plus anything else is just you're off the rails, right? Because if if you if you hold to this idea of Jesus plus something else, then the view you have of Jesus is too small. And the view you have of Jesus is not consistent with what the Bible says about him. Right. If you if you believe that there's some other contribution that can be made, you're right. Then Jesus in your mind is not sufficient. Mm-hmm. So, can you believe in Jesus and 
bring along some extra. No, because if you do, you don't believe in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Mm -hmm. Right? So you, you can't have that dichotomy of believing in Christ and. Mm -hmm. You either believe in him or you don't, which is a really vulnerable position. Sure. Right? So I'm, I'm in the process of doing tons of immigration paperwork stuff. I'm all, every time I go to these offices, I go to them and I think, what did I not bring? <laughs> Right. I'm, I'm always afraid. <laughs> I'm always afraid that I don't have something. Right. Because paperwork is just not my jam. And and I always feel like I'm going to be missing something, even when it's like just show up with your passport. I'm mm. carrying it in front of my face the whole time. I know I've got it. I know I've got it. What else are they going to ask me for? Right. Just a paranoia around the concept. When we stand in a proverbial line waiting at the gates of heaven. Mm. I understand that's not how it works. Just hear me out. <laughs> there are going to be a lot of people with a lot of baggage, mm -hmm. stuff that they brought along, so that when they are asked, why should I let you into my kingdom? They got something to show. Right. And I'm going to be standing there with my hands in my pockets, going... I got nothing. I didn't bring my passport. I did. <laughs> I've got I've got absolutely nothing. Right. But nothing but a promise. Mhm. Mm I know a guy who said it's okay. Mhm. Mm and it's a vulnerable position to be in. It is. To stand there saying I have no hope in anything that I've contributed anything outside of the promise of Jesus Christ. And I'm throwing all of my eggs in that basket. Mm. That feels vulnerable. And our human flesh wants to say, I've got to prove that I'm worthy of that promise. Or I got to prove, um, or, or I, I, got to, I got to sort of build around just in case there's something I'm missing. Mm -hmm. But it's that, it's that simple. Yeah. 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 You don't need to hedge your spiritual bets. Right. Or you don't need to, you know, bring a pocket full of cash to bribe the guy at the door. And not only you don't need to, but you can't. Right. It doesn't. Start, yeah. And actually, if you try it, then it proves that. Yeah. Anyways, then it makes <laughs> then it makes all of the other disingenuous. Yeah, it's true. Right. It's but true. but you think back to is it Isaiah 54, 55? Come you without money. Yeah. Come and buy. Yeah. Come buy water and food without price. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think here's here's the problem. And this is, you know, some people might not understand that this is this is kind of the the logical fallout of trying to bring stuff in and of themselves is that what we end up trying to do is make ourselves co-redeemers with Christ, right? Or co-saviors with Christ. Like yeah, Jesus did a whole bunch for me, and then I did the rest. And so, you know, Jesus deserves the glory, but, you know, I could use a little bit too because, you know, look what look what I did. I made the right calls. I made the right moves. I did the right things. I got my ducks in a row. I, I sorted it all out, right? And and most people, I, I think gen, genuinely, like, that most people 
who are wrestling with these kind of these forms of legalism or sacramentalism or whatever it might be, um, who are trying to prove themselves, don't aren't walking around thinking, I'm a I'm my own co-redeemer. I'm right. my own co-saver. Yep. They're not they're not having that thought, but that that is the the logical fallout, right, of like what it is that they're doing. That if 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 Jesus gets you ninety nine percent of the way, but you still you know take that final step or whatever, you push yourself over the finish line or whatever it is that you know whatever analogy we want to use, you know you deserve a portion of the credit. You know, in last week's episode we talked about the mistake of believing that I redeem myself and Jesus stamps it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it happens that we believe that Jesus saves us, but we stamp it. Right. Right, my yeah. good works and the things that I'm going to do are going to just be the seal that this really took place. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so there comes a bit of that as well. This is not a new thing. No, no, no. no. A greater majority of the epistles are written to help people process this. Mm-hmm. Right in Acts, Peter up on the rooftop struggles oh, yeah. with this. Yeah, he does. And God says to him, "Don't call anything." that I've made clean, unclean, mm-hmm. right? And and if and tells him, you don't need the works of the law anymore, Peter. Mm-hmm. And that's tough for him. Yeah. It, it doesn't just instantly make sense to him. Mm-hmm. Paul spends a lot of time in Galatians. Yeah, Galatians especially. Working on this. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is something that is, oh, and you know what those things, those things are creeping up again? I hear a lot of people talk about, well, doesn't the Old Testament law, I mean, it mattered to God then, doesn't it matter now? I think we should be doing it. Mm-hmm. I think there's Jesus and the law, um, which is exactly what the Judaizers of Galatians were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so so these things these things aren't new. Yeah. This, is, this is the effect of what it means to be human, to be afraid and to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. and to be forced to live by faith. Mm-hmm. Which is a scary thing. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, that, that tendency to kind of bring our works and our performance into the equation is this kind of inherently human thing that we want to do. Because you look at the other, everything apart from biblical Christianity is what are you bringing to the table? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you got to contribute? What I'm are you trying go- to live a good life. Right, right, all of that. And so it it's almost... It's counterintuitive to our fallen human nature to just trust Jesus, mm-hmm. to just be, to rest in him and who he is and what he's done. Um, and so, yeah, it's hard. I get that it's hard. Um, but we need to be reminded of this because, um, like you said, old heresies popping up, you know, in new forms all the time. And yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. This whole kind of Judaizer type movement is is coming back. Yeah, and interestingly, we say it's coming back, but the commentaries this week, the first contributor is John Calvin, who says this has existed in every age, mm-hmm. right? So 500 years ago, Calvin was saying this is here, and there's always been a form of it, mm-hmm. um, and here we are saying still the case, mm-hmm. right? It is still the case. I I think, I think that this truth driven home is important not only because it sets our direction and informs our worship, Mm. but also it builds our hearts Mm. when we fail 
Because when we fail, we can find ourselves going, oh, no, I'm not sealing this. I'm not giving it the stamp. Mm -hmm. I'm not pushing this over the top. So then what? Right. Have I fallen outside? Have I sinned my way out of grace and mercy? Mm. (laughs) Um, Which, spoken, you you hear how absurd it is, right? Grace and mercy can't be earned or else they would be a wage mm-hmm. and not grace and mercy. But in the moment, it doesn't in, feel absurd. But in the moment, it, it is not absurd. In the moment, yeah. we very much feel like we can sin our way out of grace and mercy. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think knowing this truth brings us back to God in moments of failure. Because so many times in moments of failure, what we want to do is not go back to God. We're embarrassed, ashamed. We believe that he is shocked and disappointed and is pushing us away and reminding ourselves of this truth. I had nothing to contribute to my salvation. I have nothing to lose. Mm. Timothy Keller ends his section saying, not his own words, (laughs) but a beautiful reminder. Mm -hmm. My hope is built on Nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Hmm. Sung those words hundreds of times, if not thousands. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes you just got to slow them down. And and I think in, in those times of struggle beating ourselves up, questioning our faith. Using that as a reminder, Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, for sure. You got anything that you want to throw on the end? I'm good, man. Well, thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. Take care, everyone.